0: Um, we're going to hear two passages from Micah today, um, which you'll find on page 7, so I'll just give you a minute to find starting at chapter 2. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out, because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. <coughs> you will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traders. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. Do not prophesy, their prophets say, do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Your descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good? To the one whose ways are upright lately my people have risen up like an enemy you strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care like men returning from battle you drive the woman of my people from their pleasant homes you take away my blessing from their children forever get up go away for this is not your resting place because it is defiled it is ruined beyond all remedy if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. And we'll continue from chapter 6. Listen to what the Lord says. Stand up, plead my case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, you mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, plotted and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord with what shall i come before the lord and bow down before the exalted god shall i come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old will the lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil shall i offer my firstborn for my transgression the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul he has shown you o mortal what is good and what does the lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. A New Testament reading comes from John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. only to take it up again no one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again this command I received from my father
1: Thanks for reading the Bible for us, Steph, and for leading us in prayer, Caleb. Um, my name's Craig, I'm the minister here at the garrison, and uh, I want to extend my welcome to everyone as well, as Leah has said. We're, uh, we're in a series looking at the minor prophets, a set of prophets in the Old Testament. We're a fair way in, and uh, today we're looking at the prophet Micah. Now you'll see in most of the aisles, there are actual Bibles, old school, but these are whole Bible, start to finish, you may want to actually, if you want to, you could actually have a Bible open to Micah in one of these versions in the 600s, in the other it's in the page 900s, um, or we'll be looking at different aspects of this book, you could just sort of tune in, listen up and go for the journey, whatever you feel comfortable with. Hmm. I'm going to pray for us as uh, we start reflecting together on this Old Testament prophecy uh, biblical prophecy that, um, that God may actually in some way encourage us. Um, I think we're all in different places today as we come here for church and I don't know what it is that uh, God wants to encourage you with this afternoon um, but I, my prayer is that we'll be able to uh, take something from his word that speaks into our life today and so I'm just going to pray and ask that God might be doing that. Let me pray. Uh, our dear Lord um, and loving Heavenly Father, I pray now that uh, as we listen to your word and we reflect on your character and your work in our world, um, that you'll just uh, speak into our minds and our hearts um, something that we need to hear today. And so please uh, guide us by your spirit in this, and we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, We've looked at lots of prophets over the last five weeks, but um, the prophet Micah is the complete package. Um, You get it all with the prophet Micah, a prediction uh, that the northern kingdom will face judgment through the Assyrian invasion, a prediction that the southern kingdom will face judgment through the Babylonian invasion. There's a clear word in this prophecy as to why this judgment would come, and there's substantial detail of what God is doing in all of this, and if there is any hope. Now, even just with that intro, if you're new with us this afternoon, um, you'll see that to understand the prophets is really a journey into the history of this uh, nation of Israel that you read all through the Old Testament. And uh, you'll pick up bits of that as we read through it today. The prophet Micah is really the complete package. He looks at the whole history of Israel. And we're going to explore some of this text today. But underlying all the words and the images that we read in this bit of the Bible, as I have gone through this book this week, I kept hearing one core question coming from God's word. And it's this question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? In the final verses of this prophecy, we are indirectly asked as readers or listeners if God is really who his word reveals him to be, do we trust that God is really who his word reveals him to be? And do we trust if God is going to keep his promises that he's made? Um, and so we see after speaking against, I used to say, the unfaithful nature of the Israelite people, Micah, this prophet, he speaks of God and he says in chapter 7, verse 19... He says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's a comment on character. And then he says, you will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in the days long ago. And so the question, whether you are one of the ancient Israelites, you're reading this text hundreds of years ago, or a modern-day exec sitting here today at the garrison, the question in this prophecy is, do I trust God with these things? Of course, if there's no such thing as God, uh, or there is, but God is actually sort of evil and manipulative, or if there is a God, but... He or it has no kind of plans or purpose for anything, then I guess it would be kind of foolish to trust in his word because um, it's really just everyone for themselves. But true Christian faith, as you read through the scriptures, the Bible centers itself around a God who has actually touched this world uh, in a person, the person of Jesus to confirm that he is both a good and a promise-keeping God. And the question for you and I today as we reflect on this prophet is, do you trust this? There is a section in Micah chapter 5, and remember this is written in a highly ritualistic ancient culture, where the prophet declares these words to the people. He says, With what shall I come before the Lord? If there is a God, if there is some greater power, what, what would he want from the people he has made? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, Micah says, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God I hear these words and I hear God saying what I require from you is to trust me to trust my ways and to follow them I guess it's true that you can be very religious, whatever that looks like today, do all the ritualistic things that maybe Micah mentions at the time, but not trust the God whom you're actually performing the rituals for. Uh, You can complete all the religious tasks, but in your heart, even as you're doing those tasks, you are the one in control. You think you're the one who is actually maneuvering all the pieces in your life. You are the one who is determining what really is right and wrong. You look very religious, but you aren't yet close to actually trusting God's character and his promises. This is certainly the case for those Micah is giving this prophecy to. Now, throughout this whole Old Testament book, God is indeed represented as a judge, like he is in all the prophets, bringing a genuine word of judgment against his people. But as I read through Micah a couple of times this week, I also had the tone in this book of a loving parent. I've got this. Yes, you will have a role to play, but trust me with how we're going to get there. God's judgment comes really when we give up trusting him and we do our own thing. And this is the reason given for the judgment of God in this prophecy of Micah. Uh, What has happened in in this community, in Israel? Well, there's lots of things that Micah talks about. The people themselves, uh, they have worshipped other gods, chapter 1, verse 7. Idolatry, it's called in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. Idolatry is really entrusting the direction and purpose of your life to a human-made concept or thing. Think about that, entrusting the direction and the purpose of your life to a human-made thing. And Micah says the people of Israel are guilty of doing this. And the leaders in Israel, well, they're not not much better because they've stopped seeking justice for their people. And instead, they're just seeking their own wealth and glory. So in chapter 3, verse 11, Micah picks them out and he says, you who just judge for a bribe. There's no fairness. You don't love the people. You don't lead them. And the prophets in Israel, well, they only say what the people want them to hear, chapter 2, verse 11, and they hold their prophetic role just for the money, chapter 3, verse 5. In fact, the prophets that Micah rebukes, they sound a lot like the teachers that we read uh, Paul rebuking in the New Testament. He writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, and he says this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And that sounds like what's happening in this community. Everyone in this ancient community has given up on trusting God, and instead, it seems that they're trusting in their own grab for cash, or status, or power, or whatever it is. And the prophet Micah is so pained by this, And you kind of hear that in that chapter two reading we had. Because this community was established, this ancient community was established to be a light to the nations around it. But now it's just just as corrupt and messy and dark as everywhere else. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about this, Probably, probably not, it's an odd thought, but I was reflecting during the week that God doesn't need our worship or obedience. He doesn't need it. If he's all-powerful, he's in control of all things, and I think of myself in this universe, he doesn't need my worship or obedience, which means when he gives commands or instructions or words into our life, they are for our flourishing and the flourishing of the people around us. Or as someone once noted, the glory of God is a human fully alive. Uh, think of the, I think of the classic rules that parents give to kids. You know, don't touch the hot plate, don't stick knives in the toaster. They're classic ones. I also think of other ones. Some of my friends have kids who are now in primary school and they have kids who are kind of going through all sorts of stuff. And I also hear other words from parents Words like this more recently, speaking to their children, understand that your value, your worth, your beauty does not come from what the other kids at school say. Like you guys are well out of primary school, right? And you know that. But as a child, you need to hear that from a parent. Are they words of an evil parent? No, they are given out of a deep, deep love for this child. Your year three class does not define your value. Trust me, (laughs) I've been through year three. But these are the words of a loving parent that speaks into a child's life. God doesn't need our worship or obedience, which I take it means when he gives commands and instructions, they are actually for our flourishing and for the flourishing of the people around us. And if that is true, then the core question of the journey of faith is do you trust him in this? In 1985, my family went to the United States of America. I was six years old, and uh, we flew over to the US. Obviously, I needed to trust my parents to have a plan for a trip like this at six years old, and they did. We went to Disneyland. Um, I bought a fake rubber pirate knife. We went to Universal Studios. Uh, We went to the Smithsonian Institute. Um, But that's not all. Uh, We also had to pack up and flee a hurricane at one point, and uh, we had to navigate multiple flights across the US, and we had to plan the timing of each day so we could get to Disneyland and do this. There was complexity in a family trip to the US, and as a six-year-old, there were bigger things at play than just me, obviously. If I decided to disconnect from my parents... Uh, mid-journey, then I would have been a six-year-old, completely lost in the middle of the United States, completely useless. Now, I know that none of us here are six-year-olds, but even as adults, we live in a big world, an ever-expanding universe. We, life seems to get more complex as you get older. There are more things to try and make sense of. And God's word says, trust my plan. There are bigger things at play than just you, and I need you to trust my plan, to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with me. You might hear these things and say, well, I can try the justice, love, and humility thing. I like that idea. Uh, But what is God's bigger plan? Because we're not talking about a two-week family holiday to the U.S. here. This is my life. If I'm going to actually become a Christian or grow up in my Christian faith, what is the plan? And this is where the prophet Micah goes into overdrive. Um, Because this text, complete package, remember, Micah, this text was written, we believe, in the late sort of 700 B.C. The 700 years, that's a long time ago, even before Jesus of Nazareth lived, died, rose again. And Micah, somewhere around 780 BC or something, says this is what God's plan is going to look like. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. There's another one, very similar plan of God, and it's actually written on the front of your zines from Micah 2. And God says in Micah, I will bring them together like sheep in a pen. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. So firstly, according to Micah, God's plan somehow is that all nations will have access to the one God who has given life to Everything. And they'll be able to know God's ways and walk with him. But then you go, well, how will this be possible? And we read chapter 5 of Micah's prophecy. Verse 2, have a listen to this. About 700 BC, he says these words, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Interesting. Did you hear that? That this cosmic plan of God will come through a boy born in Bethlehem who will grow up to be a good shepherd of God's people and he will secure a greatness that will be known through the whole world. I know a lot of people think that the Bible is just a random collection of like moral commands telling us to be good or nice or something like that. But those who have that view have never read it. It's incredible, 66 books, one united theme. There is a God behind all of this. Uh, He is a good God, he has a plan, and it centers around the true identity and the work of Jesus in this world on our behalf. Uh, Of course, you might say, okay, well, that's really interesting, Micah, 700 BC, Old Testament, says freakishly accurate things about Jesus, who was to come 700 years later. But Jesus has come and gone. So what's the plan now? If God's plan was something to do with Jesus, well, he's come, he's gone. What do I do now? And as we consider that, I want us to have a listen to Jesus' words as recorded for us 700 years after Micah by the Apostle John. Have a listen to these words that Jesus himself said in John chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. So when the sheep, he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for his sheep. But I, Jesus said, am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me, just as the Father, that's a reference to God the Father, knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are know of this sheepfold. Remember that prophecy from Micah? Every nation will be called. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now, to be honest, um, I was reflecting on these words from Jesus. Truth is, as I lead into this next reflection, I'm as far from a country boy as you can get. Um, I'm born bred city. I think I have set foot once on a sheep farm down in Shepparton, Victoria, uh, sometime in the 80s. But other than that, I haven't really been anywhere near it. So I'm no expert, but I take it that sheep have to trust a shepherd. right? That's the very basic thing. Um, the shepherd calls them to move on to pasture, The shepherd warns and protects them from ultimate danger. The shepherd cares for his or her sheep. Um, In the ancient times, they did it with a crook and they walked with them. Modern times, helicopters and like four-wheel bikes, but that's the general gist. So Jesus picks up on this metaphor and Jesus says, hey, I am the good shepherd, uh, the one that Micah said would come. And now... Today, unlike Micah, we can actually see a little clearer that to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God is to follow Jesus as our shepherd, the one that Micah said he would send. And so then that makes the core question of Christian faith, do you trust him? Because a shepherd leads people. And so the only way you can follow the shepherd or Jesus is if you actually trust that he's worth following. And as I was reflecting on that this week, two questions came to mind, which is, if I'm going to be a Christian or if I'm going to grow up as a Christian, do I actually trust in the work of Jesus and do I trust in the words of Jesus? And I found that a challenging question to ask myself both. I want us to meditate on that, trusting in Jesus' work. What does that mean? Well, it means trusting that when I come in humble repentance to God through prayer, when I speak to him in prayer and ask to be forgiven, washed clean of all my mistakes or my evil, the Bible calls sin, my rejection of God, that God the Father joyfully forgives me, washes me clean, the Bible would say, because... God the Son has already borne my sin in his death on the cross. I know Christians say, Jesus died for my sins. It's kind of a cliche. But the question is, do you believe that? Do you trust that that's actually true? Trusting Jesus' work means trusting that because of what he has done for you, he's, he's bore your sin on the cross, to reconnect you, because of that work that he's done, not you, trusting in what he has done for me, I am now a saint. That's the words of the scriptures and the promise of Jesus. Saint means a holy one. It means trusting that what Jesus has done for me means I am now a child of God. I am an inheritor of eternal life. I am now an agent of God's kingdom of grace in this world, which is often a really graceless world. But now that I've been caught up in following Jesus, I, I'm now an agent of grace. That's like a big thing. That's my identity. I want, do you believe that? Do you trust that you are who Jesus says you are? I wonder, do you trust in Jesus' work? We talk about it heaps here. Do you trust it? Do you believe it? And, and his word, very similar but slightly different. Trusting in Jesus' word means trusting that his ways are actually best. and um, Because the truth is, they may not be. Like following Jesus, listening and following the words of the Bible, it may not be the best way. I believe, I'm convicted that it is. I've seen it work and make sense, but it's still, we have to trust. Is this the right way forward? And then step out in faith. So trusting Jesus' words means trusting that generosity is greater than greed. But you've got to trust that. Because maybe greed is better. And so to follow Jesus means trusting him that generosity is greater than greed. It means trusting that self-control is more liberating than gossip or unchecked lust. It means trusting that seeking to love your enemies is better than resenting them. It means trusting that repentance of sin is more life-giving than the blindness which declares, I don't really need God's grace or forgiveness or anything from him. It's no small thing to trust Jesus' words in your daily life. And you will find multiple moments this week where there'll be sense of going, if I really trust Jesus, I'm gonna seek to say this word or not say this word or go in this direction. Of course, over all of this, there is a question of whether we trust that Jesus will return, um, as he said he will do, to judge the living and the dead, to make all things gloriously new, and to invite you to the banquet table of the feast of the lamb. Our new creation. Um, this is a resurrection community, which sounds a bit weird, but all it means is we believe that there is life beyond the grave. There is new life. And we put our trust in that. We know it because Jesus has risen from the dead. But we trust in Jesus' words that he will come again. And all things are being made new. And that is a good and beautiful thing. As I read through, read words of judgment, words of hope the future but really I heard the words of a loving parent who is speaking to humanity and he's saying I've got this yes you will have a role to play but trust me with how we're going to get there. Uh, Micah's own words directs us to this shepherd king born in Bethlehem um, called Jesus and now sitting on the other side of Jesus we are asked do we trust his work his words his coming again to shape our lives today and tomorrow. And I guess that's what Christian faith is all about. That we trust in Jesus' work and his words and we accept who we are. Inheritors of eternal life, children of His, agents of grace, lights in a dark world. And we step out and we trust his word each and every day as we await a really good future. I'm not sure where you are this afternoon um, as you hear this word, but um, I hope that uh, that you'll have opportunities this week to trust in the goodness of God and the plans that he has made. He's a God who keeps his promises. I mean, he said he'd send a kid born in Bethlehem who'd be like a shepherd king. I mean, he kept that one. He kept a whole bunch of other ones in the Bible. He keeps reading. That's the other cool thing of reading through the Bible. You just see all these promises fulfilled because God loves to keep his promises. And so we trust in him this day and the next and uh, we move forward together as a community of faith. And so I'm going to pray that God might move us forward this afternoon together and then out into Monday as um, agents of grace and hope um, through what he's done for us. So let me pray. Um, Our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, um, it is true that you could be so many things, uh, but we thank you that, uh, God of all grace, you came. You showed up in human form in your son, Jesus. Uh, We have seen that you are good and you are trustworthy and you have a plan. Lord, thank you that you love us. Um, And Lord, at different points in our life, it's sometimes hard to see where that love is. But Lord, I pray that we might be encouraged this afternoon and go into this week that your spirit may give us this hope and faith in your goodness and your promises and that we might move forward. Help us to be agents of hope and grace. Help us to seek justice this week. Lord, lead us to actually love mercy and to be humble as we walk each day with you. And we ask for your help in each of our lives and we pray this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.